Book Guys show is brought to you by Audible. Go to audibletrial.com slash bookguys and get a free book just for trying them out for one month. This is the Book Guys show, and I didn't think of anything intelligent to say at the beginning of the show. My name is Paul Alface, and I'm joined as always by our great panel, all the way from, where are you now, Padre? <laughs> I, I am still in my fortress of solitude here in Washington, D.C., just above Alrighty. DuPont Circle. Padre S.J., of course, Robert Balliser from This Week in Enterprise Tech, also joined by, from, <laughs> as you can tell, uh, if you're if you're here in the studio watching the video, there he's got his freehollowbooks.com banner behind him, Sir Jimmy. How you doing, buddy? Doing fantastic. Uh, also, didn't think of anything really good to say at the beginning of the show. I don't, I'm not covered in paint thinner, so I guess <laughs> I'm doing good. You're doing all right. And Professor Allen, how you doing, sir? Hello. Now you remember last week I was able to uh, told the story. I was able to uh, you know drop a little comic book knowledge on my on my students last week and uh this week i went for a babylon 5 reference and nobody got it no <laughs> i went a little too obscure i think was the problem uh, babylon 5 it's in that, babylon 5 no it's in yeah, that it's, it's in that like funny. 80s and 90s period that uh, doctor who went through where you know if you really are a fan and you still remember babylon 5 you are hardcore yep yeah so what's everyone been reading this week what's on your uh Let's, you know, let's change it up. What's on your to-read list? What are you going to read next week? And then we'll talk about what we read this week. Professor Allen, what are you reading next week? Well, I've just gotten a new uh, audiobook from the library. Did not get Ender's Shadow. I know I'm, I'm going to be a few weeks late on that one. I'm a disaster. I picked up something called Last Call by Tim Powers, a sort of fantasy slash magical sort of thing, just barely getting started with it. It involves poker and tarot cards. That's about all I've pieced (laughs) together so far and takes place in modern Las Vegas and Las Vegas of the last few decades. Nice. Padre, anything on your to-do list or are you just going to wing it? Well, I've got uh, so I'm reading Dark Force Rising, the second book in the uh, the Thrawn trilogy. That's from last week. That's the trilogy we wish Lucas had made, or he will um, make, hopefully, or he will make, hopefully, if he can get the licensing and the actors in mind. <laughs> um, but uh, the, the book I've got actually on my to do list is uh, is something because I liked the movie so much, I had to read the book, and that's Moneyball: The Art of Winning an Unfair Game. Mm. Now, the Ooh. weird thing is if you go to Audible, there's actually three different versions. There's the version that's read by the author, Mark Lewis. Then there's one uh, narrated by Scott Brick. And then there's a third narration. So you get to kind of choose which right. voice you want to hear. Uh, and what I like about that is because I've always been a fan of Bay Area teams. So it's San Francisco, San Francisco Giants and uh, Oakland A's. And by the way, this is baseball for our international listeners. And um, We do have the, baseball the in Canada, Padre. So. Just, just saying. <laughs> oh, forgive me. <laughs> no, but um, the A's have always been fascinating because they have such a low payroll. It just, it's ridiculous. Uh, thank you, thank you, Sir Jimmy, holding up a Jose Canseco book there. Um, that uh, you know they should always finish at the bottom, but they follow the sabermetrics plan, which basically looks not at players but looks at hits, looks at production. Uh, it was a right. different way of, of doing baseball, and you can say that basically all the big teams are doing it to some measure now. So it's, 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 a, it's a good read for anyone who's into either sports statistics or just geeks getting ahead. Nice. And, and, and of course, the, the, the author, you know, Michael Lewis, he's had um, some success. He did, of course, he wrote The Blind Side, which became a major, uh, major movie. And then he's written, he has a background in finance. Uh, Meyer and has written some great books about the uh, about the collapse the last you know the last ten years or so of of finance. So he sort of balances back and forth between you know t- true sports stories and and finance stories. It's a, right, it's a right. an eclectic author. And Sir Jimmy, anything on your to do list? Oh, I just finished reading um, Baseball's Forty Forty Man, the story of Jose Canseco, a little almost like a kid's book that I picked up at the the bookstore on the free shelf. My favorite all-time baseball player. 
from my favorite all-time baseball team, my favorite all-time baseball card, the first 40-40 man and, and his, uh, his struggle to to break that. But the first first guy to hit 40 home runs in a season, steal 40 bases. I, didn't, I did not realize that Bobby Bonds in like 1973 came one home run away from it, had 21 games left to get one more home run and couldn't do it. Wow. Jose Canseco, also number 33. So Number 33. You ah, can't see. beat the boy. He dated Madonna, which uh, <laughs> I guess can hold that against him. I love those little short reads. I love like uh, just picking up a 50-page you know, book and going through it. I love it. Guess how many home runs he actually ended up with, Paul? You know this number. I don't. 333? <laughs> no, no, no. In that season where he had, yeah, he had 40 home, had to hit at least 40, he hit 42. 42, ah, yes. Yes. That's the answer to life, the universe, and everything. That's correct. <laughs> uh, and uh, coming up on my uh, reading list, I just got this uh, review copy of The Death of Johnny Ace. A novel by Steve Bergsman. I haven't read anything by Steve Bergsman, but uh, uh, Johnny Ace I'm familiar with, being a fan of blues and R&B, and I'm actually just going to pull up the preview here in the iTunes store. Uh, here, let's give Have you we some. Have tested this? Yeah, well, we'll do it on the fly. Oh, there we go. Well, then iTunes match overrides the song, but you got the idea there. So, so, uh, so Johnny Ace... Uh, he uh, he led an interesting life, came out of the Navy, and uh, that's pretty much all I know about him. And I know that he accidentally shot himself with a gun. Uh, so, spoiler alert, there's the end of the book. You know? <laughs> but, or, you know, it could be the last couple of chapters anyways. But uh, I'll bring that next week. We, um, we've all been there. I love reading about the lives of uh, famous musicians. And he was famous, I believe it was in the 50s. And uh, I read something else this week. Uh Talk about this one, and I'm gonna find. I know we have jingles. I have to find them. I'm gonna talk about a depressing book, and then hopefully, uh, Padre or Professor Allen or Sir Jimmy can, you know, bring us up to a little bit more of a bright topic. But uh, this not likely. Yeah, uh, this this is one of those dry reads. Very dry. You get very parched when you're very dry. Um, Wall Street Journal said that uh, Whirlwind, the Air War Against Japan, 1942 to 1945 by Bear Tillman. Uh, the Wall Street Journal said it's uh, wonderfully told and Tillman is a master storyteller. And I have to agree, but uh, as far as a, a story, there's not much narrative to it. I mean, characters, it's not like, you, you know, uh, it's not like Stewie Griffin, you know, there's a character, protagonist, you know, start and end. Uh, no, it's, it's uh, when you can encounter characters, they're in only five or six pages, but if you're into World War II history, you get to learn a lot about the air campaign uh, between uh, the United States and Japan. And I got to say, I got to give it to Americans. It's like as soon as uh, Japan attacked uh, Pearl Harbor, a bunch of Americans stand around saying, we're going to bomb the crap out of Japan now. And they just looked at all the technology that was there. The, and we you know, like one guy's looking at the other and saying, is this the biggest plane we have? Yeah, that's as big as it gets. We need to build a bigger one. Because we're going to bomb the crap out of them. So it goes through the, the creation process of the B-29. So you learn how all of American industry, you know, all of the airplane manufacturers got into this. And, I mean, these things, the last one that flew over Japan was still a beta. Like, it, it, like these are not planes that should have been flying. I mean, like, you know, they fell out of the sky most of the time. Like, you know, you either got killed by Japanese gunfire or your plane just fell apart as you were flying. Because these things really were not... They were engineered in such a rush they could build the biggest plane they could to bomb as much as they could. Uh, you really learn a lot about uh, the back end of the war, how um, the United States was developing weapons specifically just to end this. Uh, the, here, there's like these prototype weapons. I got a note here. Like a, it's, I inserted here in the page. It's called, you can't read it. It's Bat Bomb. So one of the prototypes they did, one guy said, well, why don't we just strap a bunch of bombs that are on timers, put them one each on each little bat, and then we'll just drop this bomb, open it up before it hits the ground, let all the bats out. You know, they'll take their time, settle in different places, then they'll blow up. It was a great idea until a couple of the bats from the prototype bomb got out and started flying around the, you know, the place they were developing the bomb, and then they blew up. So <laughs> that was the end of the bat bomb. 
It's like a homing pigeon bomb. That's not really a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going to say, Jimmy. <laughs> you, you learned I a lot. I invented this boomerang bomb. There's, I don't see anything <laughs> that could go wrong. You learn a lot about uh, the, the Japanese mentality. And, uh, uh, you know, so many times reading this book, you know, horrible things happen in this war. But so many times in this book, I said, Japan, you are. I know that you don't. But really, why didn't you surrender then? And I mean, like, it's 10 times this book. I said, really? Even after the first nuclear bomb went off, you still didn't? Oh, man. But it all came down to uh, the honor and the fight to the end uh, mentality uh, to the point where the emperor, when even when he was, you know, thinking of uh, surrendering, he actually had to fight off a coup. I mean, the military leaders came in and, and tried to stop him from, uh, they actually tried jamming his radio broadcast when he surrendered. It's interesting. And, uh, Really, I can just keep going. I have so many notes here in this book. I could talk about it forever. Uh, if you're into history, and like I said, it's going to be a dry read. It's not a narrative. There's no hero. There's no villain. Every, you know, Just horrible things happen. You learn a lot about the air campaign. Uh, wow. Just can't say anything more about it. If you like history, we'll win the air war against Japan, 1942-1945 by Bear Tillman. Check it out. <laughs> How much of your... Uh... What would you say your breakdown, Paul, is between uh, fiction and nonfiction? Roughly, you see, you 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 seem to be about a fifty-fifty guy, just in sort of. I I love my fiction. I'll be honest. With you. I love I love my fiction. I just I try to bring a little bit more, you know, okay. uh, yep. variety to the show. Uh, I do like reading about history, but I mean, after that one, I'm definitely. Uh, I know I'm doing the the Johnny Ace one, but after that, believe me, it's all going to be like uh, it's going to be fiction for months <laughs> on end. <laughs> go 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 back to make believe for a little while yeah exactly now now padre you know what uh, i was thinking this weekend when uh, amazon came out with their whisper sync i looked at it and i said i thought i was insane and then you know i met the padre and i know the padre flips between audiobooks and books now i do it sometimes if i get a review copy of a book and i'm enjoying it and i really want to get you know want to read it while i'm on the move i'll buy the audiobook if it's out already and I'll flip back and forth, and it was a big hassle. And now uh, with Amazon's WhisperSync, um, I'm actually going to buy. I think I'm going to buy my first Kindle. Whoa! Okay. Because yeah. uh, the iPad Kindle app currently does not sync with the Audible app. Right. Okay. Uh, so the only way you can get this syncing between Am- Amazon's Kindle and Amazon's Audible, because Amazon owns Audible, uh, is through the Kindle app on the Kindle for the Kindle itself. Anyways, Kindle firmware. Which Kindle are you thinking about getting the fire or one of the uh, easier to read ones? Uh, because I've played with a, a someone's fire. I'm not even sure if they're available yet in Canada. I've played with an American's uh, fire. Uh, I find it compared to the iPad slow and clunky. Sorry, but it just is. And uh, I wouldn't spend that much money uh, when I know I can buy a used iPad. If mine breaks, I'll buy a used one for $300. Um, I'm going to go with probably with the paper white because the screen is beautiful. That's actually a a good call because um, I I like the new fires, but I actually have a, a, I cannot show it, but I have a a early copy of the fire HD. I still take the galaxy Nexus. I'm sorry. The Nexus seven over, over that where I do think the Kindles have a great advantage is in that paper white technology. It's yeah. in the eating technology, because I'm sorry if you've ever been on vacation, if you've ever been on a plane, if you've ever just wanted to read a book, there's nothing quite like having that eating. It, it just feels better than having a, a backlit LCD. Um, now I, I like you, I'm, I'm excited by the whisper sync. I love the idea of reading something um, is say, you know, when I'm waiting for, my plane and then getting on right. the plane and having it switch over to the audio version. That's just, that's something I've been wanting for a long time. And, and it seems right. economical too. Cause, cause I mean, uh, oh, yeah. it's a, from what I saw from the, the preview videos, they were showing, you know, add narration for four ninety nine. So now that you've bought the book for $10, you're going to add another $5, it's $15 you've paid and you've got the audio and the, you know, and the uh, right. Kindle copy. And, and that's where Amazon really has, um, a, a, a big advantage because of the, the library of content that they have and because of all the deals they already have in place and because of this, the sheer volume of content that they sell, they can make deals like that and no other player, including Apple, can. Monop- Monopoly is nice. 
That's all it's, I got to say. Well, because <laughs> there's no reason why the Kindle app and the, you know, and the Audible app haven't been modified in the iOS to bring WhisperSync. You know, I'd be buying tons of WhisperSyncs right now, uh, WhisperSync books, but it sounds like they, they'll probably bring the feature to it, but not just yet because they want to sell some Kindles. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's, it's one of these things where, yeah, there, there's no reason why I can't have WhisperSync on my Nexus 7. There's no right. reason why you can't have it on your iPad, your iPhone, your Android phone, mm-hmm. whatever it is. But Amazon realizes they've kind of got something that's special here. Yeah. There's no reason to, to give it away quite so quickly. Right. But I think they will in time. They'll see that, you know, there's money to be made. Oh, yeah. Millions yeah. of iPads, millions yeah. of Nexuses out there. They're going to have to do it eventually. Okay, so Professor Allen, let us do some comic books. Comic books. Comic books. I likes me some comic books, <laughs> and I I picked up not just old school comics, just old comics. I picked up a collection from the library by uh, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby, mostly known for creating Captain America. Uh, but this is a collection of some of their lesser-known works from starting in the 40s and going up through the 60s. And uh, I've read some of, the, uh, some of the stories from the 1940s. And surprisingly, really good. You know, I've read some early Superman and some early Batman from that era. And, you know, you have to remember, you know, comic books written in the late 30s or early 40s were you know, aimed at uh, nine-year-olds and were intended to be disposed of uh, certainly within a month, if not within a week, if not the next day. And, uh, you know, the, these creators had no idea that I would be sitting down 70 years later and reading, uh, yeah, or, reading one of their stories. They, they might have used and, better paper. <laughs> I mean, those, those things yellow the, pretty quickly. Yeah, but these, uh, but these ones uh, hold together, the, both the story and the art hold together uh, uh, surprisingly well, surprisingly uh, a surprisingly strong read, featuring such characters. I was as, about to ask, what, so who as, who is featured in this? Which superheroes that we featuring would such recognize? characters as stuntman? And you know what his secret identity was? He was a stuntman. No way. <laughs> okay, I'm saying the premise might sound a little shaky, but it worked in the story. You'll have to trust me. You'll have to trust me on that one. And a uh, and a Batman knockoff called the Black Owl. Ooh! <laughs> I don't know if you can see it. The Black Owl, dressed in nice blue and red. I'm not quite sure. He looks, looks like Superman. Like, looks <laughs> a little more like Superman, but I don't know. Call the uh, go back to 1940 and call your lawyers. I think is the situation there. But yeah, <laughs> very very fun read. And I look forward. I'll continue to read up into the 50s and 60s. Uh, Looking forward to it. And uh, big, big comic these... book news this week, too, uh, Professor. Uh, it was in all the papers here in Canada. Anyways, everyone had a little byline, a little story. Professor X is no longer with us. He has been uh, killed by the Cyclops. And I haven't read the story and, and, yet, and, so I can't spoil and, it because I don't know what, exactly and, and, what happened. You know, and, and, and one thing we know from, you know from comic books is dead is dead. I mean, right. once you're dead, <laughs> he'll never come back. Just... <laughs> There's there's an air of finality about this, really, because I mean, why would why wouldn't they take one of the most popular and beloved characters and just kill him off and never bring him back? Right, and put Patrick Stewart out of business. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> he can't survive on Family Guy appearances alone, right? That's right. <laughs> oh, and American Dad. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. He's the boss of the at the CIA. That's right. <laughs> that's brilliant. Very good, and uh, Padre. What you been reading? What's new? Well, uh, not a whole lot, actually. I, I've been reading a lot of some really dry technical stuff that I'm not going to bore our audience with because it is really dry technical stuff. Um, I, I have been really grooving on, uh, as I mentioned before, on Timothy Zahn's um, Dark Force Rising. I, I actually, I, I don't normally say this, but I actually like the second book more than I like the first book. So that's, that's a new thing for me. Um, as I read these books and I know we covered a a bit of this last week, but it's just, it's so much stronger now. I get a feeling for how much more they could have developed characters. I get a feeling for how, how much I really would have liked 
an adult Star Wars. You know, forget making a Star Wars for today's young generation. I mean, I want a Star Wars for the people who grew up with Star Wars. And I think that's, you know, that's, yeah. that's far more Timothy Zahn than it is George Lucas. Um, something else that's actually been on, uh, I, I started reading because my sister made me read it, is this book called uh, Digital Fortress by, uh, is that, uh, oh gosh, who's the Da Vinci Code guy? I, I've Dan, talked about Dan Brown. Brown, yeah. Dan Brown, thank you. Uh, because I, I actually didn't like the Da Vinci Code series of books and it had nothing to do with the content. It's just, I, didn't, I don't like the way he writes. I, I, it, it's too self-referential. It was a bit too snide, snippy for me. I am totally grooving on Digital Fortress. Um, probably because it's a different universe. It doesn't have any of the, the same um, you know, connections to other books that he has to maintain. Right. But the idea of, you know, you've got the NSA with a, a crazy supercomputer. You've got an unexperienced field agent. Uh, you've got some, you know, real world security concerns. And, and they actually made cryptography exciting. They actually took some pretty high level concepts from cryptography and they made it accessible to the average user. I'm just, I'm totally geeking out over that. <laughs> And of course, Padre, yep, uh, your podcast is, of course, this week in Enterprise, Enterprise Tech. Enterprise Tech on the Twit Network every Monday, 12 o'clock noon Pacific, with the show dedicated to the enterprise professional, the IT pro, and the geek who just wants to know how the world is connected. So, uh, yeah, why not come uh, so, by? And so, folks, just so you know, why maybe Padre can't bring a new book every week is because maybe the book he's been reading is about, uh, you know, network connections and server farms and. Yeah. Yeah, save that stuff for your other podcast, okay? Yeah, <laughs> we do watch, you know. <laughs> but I, I, you know, I can but, tell but, you, I can tell you all about the new series of switches that Google has developed in private in order to guarantee ten gigabit asynchronous communications between their data center colos. But see, <laughs> I don't think that has the same sex appeal as Timothy Zahn's. I, I'm just happy we have DSL here, where where the podcast studio is located. <laughs> We're in the middle of this, like. <laughs> You know. I gotta be honest. I didn't know that you had a video show too. I've just been listening to the audio podcasts. Yeah, well, I've got I've got a face for radio, a mind for uh, TV, and uh, a voice for television. So <laughs> it's or radio or no newspaper. <laughs> you fit you fit right in <laughs> here. Yeah, <laughs> all that stuff. But not to not to uh, not 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 to backtrack. I I I understand that George Lucas is uh, in the process of rewriting the Timothy Zahn novels. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome. See, and you know what he's adding? Jar Jar. Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> yeah. See, George Lucas went with, uh, hey, well, I got to make another three movies for kids, where I think he really should have just gone. I'll make three movies for the people who watched my original trilogy, and they'll drag their kids anyways. That's what he should have gone with the the Zahn novels, and definitely. We are in no, I, full well, agreement here. You know, it's it's really our fault for making Ewoks so popular. In retrospect, that may have been a strategic mistake from the fans. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna make an, a confession here. Um, I actually watched the South Park episode where they were lampooning George Lucas and the kids. You know, make a trip over to Sky Walker Ranch and try to save Star Wars <laughs> because they find out that uh, as he's redoing all his movies, all he's doing is adding Ewoks. <laughs> right, <laughs> and I will say I I I'm not a big fan of Star Park, but I thought those episodes were hilarious. And let's move on to a little bit of book news, gentlemen. And it goes like this: book news. I got a couple of stories here. You guys can pop in with uh, any if you want to dive in. Um, oh, this one was interesting from September 10th. Uh, Trying to see where my source is from, but it's from mhpbooks.com. Uh, Texas librarians bypass publishers and go straight to indie authors to lend ebooks. So, what they're doing in Texas is saying, We'd like your book. You've got an ebook. You've self published it. You still have the rights to publish it anywhere you want. Publish it in our library. So now uh, indie authors can take their books directly, put them in the Texas library system, and uh, lend out their ebooks and uh, get some uh, publicity. So if you're an uh, indie author, you've got your book out there, uh, you might want to contact the Texas Library Association and uh, get your books in there. I think that's a great idea. Uh, right now, yeah. a lot of authors have to go through publishers, and it's, uh, it's, it actually costs libraries more to buy an ebook through the publisher than it is to – it's better – it's cheaper for them to just go to like a book sale and buy a bunch of old books. 
like physical books than it is to actually buy ebooks from the publishers. And I know a librarian, I'm not going to mention her name, but uh, every time we go to a comic thing, she's, uh, well, the one time we went to a comic thing, I mean, like every time we go, uh, she was out there buying, you know, uh, buying comic books, buying books to put into her library because it's cheaper. So I know it's a, I know it's kind of old school and uncool, but I am a huge fan of libraries. And here in, in the Columbus, Ohio area, we've got a couple of just terrific, both the, the broader Columbus metro system is terrific, and then some of the smaller surrounding suburbs have their own independent libraries and library systems. Just, just terrific. That's, you mentioned comic books. That's actually where I do a lot of my reading from you know, of the of the collected of the trade paperback uh, uh, comic books, a lot of the a lot of the libraries purchase those. That- uh, the libraries here in Toronto are just super busy always. Mm-hmm. I mean, even throughout the ebook revolution, uh, now they've got the systems in where you can actually uh, go online to their website and download, uh, rent or rent, lend, get, get an ebook right. from the system without having to even leave your home. So they are keeping up with the times. But uh, the publishers do seem to be dinging them a lot in the prices as far as getting books into the library. I think this indie author straight to the libraries, great idea. Great idea. You know, I I don't want to make this a whole, publishers are evil and book distributors are evil and so on and so forth. But the more and more this drags on with the resistance to e-books and the resistance to direct sales, uh, the more it's starting to feel like the, the, the old... R-I-A-A, M-P-A-A, fight of old. Right. Where you've got a business that's it's struggling to defend a business model that, you know, doesn't really work anymore. Uh, and I, I do believe that publishers and distributors actually add value. They, you know, it's good to have them. They do good things. Uh, but they need to embrace, you know, things like this, where yeah. you're going to have authors going directly and selling directly. And they need to figure out what value they can add on top of that. Yeah, and we have to remember the ebook revolution is only a couple of years older than the music, uh, digital music revolution. And I think the, the music industry has almost got themselves sorted out. Uh, I know that now I can buy music from iTunes and other sources that are DRM free. Um, some of the, I still have problems with some of my older music that I bought from iTunes that is not DRM free and it's still sitting around my system because uh, I use like Tractor. It's a piece of software that allows you to spin tracks at a party or you know, whatever, and you try to load in certain songs, and it says this music format is not supported. So uh, the DRM-free thing, they've got to go to that as well. They got to get rid of the DRM and yeah, take the route that the music. You know, learn from the music industry's mistakes. You know, and get on with it. <laughs> and exactly. Again, I'm 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 going to sound like I'm a million years old, but uh, I mean, I appreciate the publisher's role. I appreciate. I appreciate the publisher's role in in being a you know being a gatekeeper of of quality control. Used to have to walk five days to the library in the snow. <laughs> but I think I mean I've I've certainly read some bad traditionally published novels. I've rarely, if ever, read a good, really good self published novel. You know, I, they're good, uh, but the quality difference on average is pretty. You know the bell curve is is pretty striking. I right. found there there are gems so out there. Sort of, I do appreciate that that quality control yeah. aspect that 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 publishers offer. But, the, but there's also model, the, a, a number that's not quite working. There's also a numbers game too, because I mean, not every book that gets rejected by publishers is uh, due to quality. I mean, they can only put out 300 titles. Certain publishers can only put out 300 sci-fi titles a year. So that 301st one that comes in their door that year. They might publish it a few years from now. They might not. Uh, it might not necessarily be a bad book. And uh, some people just go the indie route uh, as soon as they've been, they've gotten that twentieth rejection letter. And some of them do well. Well, you know, I, I, I was still, I'm remembering nightmare stories of um, of first time authors who have signed a dummy contract with a publisher. You know, it's that the first piece of paper that a publisher will, will push towards an author saying, oh yeah, this is standard. And it's totally, they're absolutely offensive terms. You know, you will write five books yes. and we will pay you this upfront and then we will pay you 10% of blah, 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 blah. And then, and then you don't realize till later that you will never get any of that because of the way they keep their accounting. Right. Now the publishers always come back and they say, well, it's because for every successful book, we have 50 failures. Well, that doesn't work anymore. 
You know, you've got, you've, they've got to be more transparent. And I, I'm with Professor Allen. I, I think publishers, they should tout themselves as not as the business center of publishing, but as the gatekeepers of quality. It's, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure, you could buy independent books. If you want something that's, that's, that's well edited, that's proofread, that, uh, you know, it, it would be something that you go into a bookstore and buy. And that's where you go to us. Right. Uh, I think that's. That's totally how they should be pushing themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a great piece of advice. Always reject the first yeah, contract, I, though, I, that they give you. Yeah, I, I think the. the I, I, I think the technology of print on demand, the fact that that is only sort of being used by self-publishing and independent is, is a shame. I mean, that, that's a business model that sort of works, either pre-orders or print on demand. As a technology, I think that makes sense, but print-on-demand is is a hundred percent associated with, you know, with uh, that right. that method of delivering book is associated with self-publishing, and that's not the. And I think again, there's some some coalescing of some technologies here and ideas here that that if if a big book, uh, uh, you know, adopted and adapted some of their some of their principles, they might not go the way of big music. Right. Yeah, I've got I've got a couple here, and and they come out looking uh, like sort of like a it's a it's a trade paperback, uh, printed some of them in like ten minutes, and I don't see why you're right. I don't see why the publishers don't go to this model. Uh, maybe it has something to do with the bookstores and their distribution systems. Maybe a Barnes and Noble bookstore doesn't want their entire business, uh, you know, converted into a vending machine, because then that's when Barnes and Noble, that's when the publishers. Uh, cut them out, cut the middleman right out, and just put vending machines everywhere that print books. So maybe yeah, like that might be. Sorry, sorry, Jimmy. Like a red box for books. Exactly. You know, you pick the book you want from uh, Hachette, or Hachette Audio prints out a, a audio book on uh, you know on a stick for you, or you could go and get a you know uh, you know any 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 publisher would have you have like four or five different ones for each publisher, and why would you need a bookstore then? Uh, me, I'm, I'm a fan of the hardcover, so. I don't think they'll ever make a machine that can do all that work. I've seen the work being done for hardcover. No way. It'd be a huge. The vending machine would be the size of the bookstore anyway. So, But, uh, yeah, you know, a lot of problems with libraries. Uh, there is a piracy problem at libraries. Because <laughs> I did over here at the counter once. <laughs> Padre, I love you, man. <laughs> the video stuff you can do, you are a technical wizard. <laughs> but uh, the piracy problem at libraries, uh, I've overheard at the counter, people, uh, people at the counter actually saying, uh, sir, you took out these CDs three hours ago, and you're returning them now. Did you actually listen to them? Guy's got like eight, you know, a stack of eight CDs. He's like, "Yes, I sat in my living room listening to them." <laughs> sure, you know, some of the I actually have literally seen people uh, borrow CDs from the library, take them over, flip open their MacBook Pro in the library, throw them all into their iTunes, sync with iTunes Match put them all back in their jewel cases and return them. So some of the, the you know, these, the publishers, uh, piracy concerns are, well, you know, yes, it happens. Uh, and uh, speaking of piracy, of course, gentlemen, Wednesday, what's the date? Let me check the calendar. Wednesday, September 19th at midnight. As soon as the day starts, we'll be releasing our special talk like a pirate day episode, which we'll be recording tomorrow. <laughs> I, I was just about to say, shouldn't we be saving these piracy uh, stories for Talk Like a Pirate Day? That's right. We'll talk about piracy on Wednesday. So join us for Talk Like a Pirate Day. In order to celebrate, we'll have a short episode where we're all going to try to talk like a pirate. Arr. Arr, join us for the Scroll Guys show. <laughs> Paul, I listen to a lot of podcasts. That was a world-class segue. I must say that <laughs> that was impressive. I, I, I'm honored to be here today to witness that. There you go. Thank you. I had to, oh. I had to engage my slow clap function. Slow, slow clap. clap. <laughs> and you know, we're having a lot of fun here with the video and go to meeting, of course. I uh, really enjoy it. I think this is the way we're going to do the show going forward. And um, really, uh, you guys got to see what we're doing in the video. It's, this is a lot of fun. And it's a shame we're not releasing our video to the public yet. I mean, I'm, we're yes. still installing the lighting yes. here. Only the Padres got the professional lighting going and, and whatnot, you know. <laughs> but uh, we are—we're all cleaning up, you know. We're all uh, building the shelves and putting in the lights and all that. Boots are on the ground, my friend. Feeding the air. 
Moving on. Hey, oh, you know, we got we got coming up still while we're in book news. Uh, September 29th through October 6th is uh, Band Books Week. Oh, let's do it. Let's oh, all read nice. a band book. I'm in. It's the 30th <laughs> anniversary of it. So um, I was actually listening to a Stuff You Should Know podcast today. and was all about it and, you know, banning books, burning books, and why it happens, how it happens. And they say... You know, if, if a book is banned, all it takes is one person going into one library saying, I don't want this book in this library, and boom, it shows up on a list of books that are banned. It may just, you know, be here or there, but so, uh, one interesting fact, they said, guess, guess what state buys more textbooks than any other state in the country? Texas? Yes. Oh. Absolutely. More school-aged children. Well, I mean, they have to replace them every other year because they keep changing their their view of the world. So, that's, oh, that's right, that's right. <laughs> no, you know, actually, it's it's too bad that none of us are part of an organization that has a lot of experience with banned books, though. So, yes, it's true. So it's the 30th anniversary of Banned Book Week, and it starts. You know what? Since it starts on the 30th, and that is a Sunday, uh, yeah, we'll try to record a, a special episode. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'm in. I'll find yeah. something. I'll. Read a band book. There's, there's, you know, pl- there's plenty of them. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird, Catcher in the Rye. Are there any ground rules for this? I mean, does it have to be a book that's banned now or a book that has been banned at any time? And, and I say at any time. I say it at any time. Yeah, and okay. then we can maybe discuss why it was banned at time. I mean, we don't have to all sit here and read Mein Kampf or anything, right? I mean... <laughs> uh, you know, it could be anything. It could be the Rushdie book that was banned. And... I have dibs on Harry Potter. All right. <laughs> uh, yeah, they said that, that was banned. Uh, that had more challenges than any other book in the last 10 years. <laughs> yeah, it's a great idea, Sir Jimmy, and we'll, we'll, we'll do a special episode for the banned books. Uh, we'll all pick a banned book or a banned comic book, maybe, there, Professor Allen. Ooh. <laughs> Has I've there been a, a banned comic? There must have been banned comic books, right? Oh, there must have been tons. There, there have been some. I, I don't, so the closest I, I can think of is someone at some point got, well, I was going to say they got the rights. I think they located a couple of really early Walt Disney comics, a couple early Mickey Mouse comics, which were a little on the questionable side in terms of various issues, shall we say, Ah, and published them as uncensored mouse. And then, of course, (laughs) they got shut down. They got sued, you know, out of business because they didn't have the right to, the legal right to publish those. They argued they were public domain at that that's the issue. So that's probably the closest I can think of. Not, not a government banning. It was a you no. Know, well, I, I know that cur- currently legal there's issue. a lot of the old Bugs Bunny cartoons that are banned, and they don't no longer play in Canada nor the United States of America. Uh, yeah, again, I, I I I think you know in the case of Disney, you know, has one or two, and then their uh, uh, Warner Brothers probably does as well. That's a matter of the the company themselves. But uh, I have not case, heard of that. That's yeah. Disney themselves. A Song of the South is the particular one on Disney's oh, side. Okay. Now, <laughs> bringing it all back, never, folks, back to Woolwind. Knowledge. The, the it war in Japan. Show up anywhere. There's a lot of the Bugs Bunny episodes during the war fervor for That's Japan. Right. Right. I'm hunting Japs and whatnot. And yeah, there was a lot of uh, racial slurs. And as long as they don't take away my kill the rabbit, because that is how my generation <laughs> learned about Wagner. <laughs> Seriously, that's the only way we know. <laughs> I loved when Family Guy actually killed a rabbit. That was fun. There's an amazing one, Paul, from from the World War II era of uh, Bugs Bunny, and it's really you know making fun of Nazis, making but right. it does show Bugs Bunny as a Nazi, you know, okay. engaging in stupid and crazy behavior and so on, you know, to make fun of. But obviously, if you captured a still of, a still of that, right, out of context. Bugs Bunny dressed as a Nazi is not an image, despite the patriotic nature originally, um, is not an image Warner Brothers really wants out there. But that's, so in a sense, you could call that a banned book, but that's the the corporate owner making that choice. Right. Oddly enough, on the banned books front, I just got through completing a case, and as we're sitting here on my iPad, popped up a little Gmail notification that um, uh, the guy sent over the money for it. Somebody who'd bought a few books from me before said, if you ever run into any Henry Miller books, he would love to have a couple of those hollowed out. And I, I looked for two months and walked into uh, a little Goodwill store that's up in Virginia in this little town. 
And in the back, they have a little set or a corner, and really about a, a quarter of the whole building is a little bookstore. And there sat Black Spring, Tropic of Cancer, Tropic of Capricorn, all three, the same, uh, the same like black book, the same binding, everything all together, same size. And I turned all three of them into a really cool case, and I just finished it up this afternoon. Send that off to him. I, and as I'm hollowing out, I saved all three of the books, complete content, front to back, <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to rebind them. And uh, so you get a free book I'm out of this. Read them. Yeah, yeah, I get to keep. I get you keep, keep the, the good book. stuff. Wow, it's a win-win. I, I got to a, a page, and you know, I, I remember like Jerry Seinfeld talking about losing that book, and and uh, Mr. Bookman, Fred H. Bookman, that's me on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he was saying, oh, you didn't read that too bad. It was erotic, you know, and the page I turned to, I was very surprised by the language that was there. And Professor Allen has left us, or he is on his way out. Thanks for joining us, Professor. There's the ding. He had to run. He had to, uh, he has some very important things to do. I can't tell you. If we told you, we'd have to kill you. I think he was just upset about something that Sir Jimmy said. (laughs) <laughs> Sir, yeah, remind sure. our new listeners what you do exactly in the website. Give the website title. Oh, freehollowbooks.com. I, uh, any book you want, I'll hollow it out so you can hide something in it. You want right. to hide uh, <laughs> you know, your lunch in it. You want to hide your iPhone. I'll make, them, uh, as, I'll make them to hold an iPad where you can actually reach down in the book, be reading your iPad, messing with it on the bus. Nobody, everybody thinks you're reading some Van Gogh art book and, you know, you can leave it sit on the seat of your car. And nobody's going to bust open the window to try to take it. And you know, I can I can do some pretty crazy things with a book. So you come up with an idea, I can make it happen. I, I use the one you sent me all the time, Hidden Empires. No one Hidden touches Empire. it. No one touches it. I still it. have the, quite literally. It, it reminds me of uh, card book. reminds me of uh, there was an iPod case. They still make them actually. It's uh, it's made to look like uh, a Zune. So you can put your iPod in the Zoom. You can the website claims you can leave it anywhere. It's theft proof. <laughs> you can leave it on a city bus. It'll be there the next day. It'll still be there. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> uh, moving on, book news, gentlemen. A uh, couple of book deals here. Some familiar names. Kevin Costner lands a book deal with Atria, which I believe is a Simon and Schuster imprint. And all it says here is it's a World War One book. Behind the stead rooms of an old world gentleman's club operates a darker, more mysterious organization, the Explorers Guild, a clandestine group of adventurers who seek out, man, I need my, I need to replace my black printer toner, who seek out the places where light gives way to shadow and reason is usurped by myth. Kevin Costner, writing his own book. Hopefully he doesn't have water in it. Oh. <laughs> no water. There's a water world. You know, a crappy it's, movie. You, it's funny that you bring that up because, uh, this past weekend, I, I did one of these Netflix bad movie trips. And so I just started searching through Netflix and my, my own personal uh, network movie archives, looking for really bad movies to see if they've gotten any better over time. Waterworld actually is better than I remember. <laughs> it refines with age. I enjoyed it. But Battlefield Earth is still as bad as I remember when I watched it the first time. <laughs> yeah, that's on the banned movie list here. <laughs> Uh, and Jessica Lang, who but was she not Murder She Wrote? Was she not the star of Murder, Murder She Wrote? And and no. she played uh, Miss Lovett in uh, the bro- the uh, Broadway version of Sweeney Todd. No, Way Jessica Lang was in King Kong. Oh, okay, that's different then. Okay, different Jessica Lang then. <laughs> but she's got a, a, a book deal with uh, Source Books' Jabberwocky imprint. Uh, the delightful story about two sisters, Eels and Ada, and their grandmother Mem, who lived on a quaint, rambling small farm. During the visit of the farm, the sisters sneak into the ramshackle barn they norm- they're normally forbidden to play in and stumble on all, on all kinds of strange and fascinating treasures, including an antique birdcage. The discovery prompts Mem to reminisce and tell her granddaughters about the time she spent in Paris and Rome as a young woman, where she adopted a pet canary named Ussolino, Italian for little bird, that she brought back with her to the United States. That's Angela Lansbury. Oh, okay. gosh, see, I, I guess it had a lot. It had a lot in it. So. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, this last celebrity uh, book deal. I know what, who this woman is and what she did, and I'm not going to say it okay, on the show. Monica Lewinsky is now oh, shopping okay. her new top secret book. <laughs> and uh, actually, here as you can see, I actually stapled to this story right away. I printed out 
A list of dead people connected with Bill Clinton. <laughs> and, um, it's quite a list, gentlemen. <laughs> uh, I'm just saying. Three people. Like, there, there's one guy in here who was like beheaded and ruled natural causes. Monica, don't print this book. You're insane. <laughs> Actually, I, I got a copy of that list. Um, it is quite long, but I blew right through it. <laughs> and i'm gonna start this one off by saying uh sorry padre shit girl says scores a book deal uh this is the the so it's sort of almost a parody on uh uh stuff you know stuff my dad says the, sh- the show that was on television with uh, shatner and by uh, mr helpern wrote the book uh, so this is a parody it's uh it's guys in drag that do these vi- youtube videos uh, sort of parroting things that women say. They've now got a book deal as well. The Twitter come YouTube sensation has landed a great big Harlequin book deal. Um, so there you go. We'll, t- we'll keep a look on this one. And if you're interested, just go to YouTube, look up shit girls say. Sorry, Padre. <laughs> That's all good. <laughs> We're allowed to say I, it if it's I'm a gonna, title. I'm going to go find it now. It sounds interesting. <laughs> I'm not even going to flag the episode ex- explicit. It's just a title. <laughs> All right, and we'll talk about this one next time. We'll talk a little bit next episode, gentlemen, about who inherits your iTunes library, how we can legally, this is almost, we should be on This Week in Law for this one. (laughs) Who inherits your iTunes library, how you can pass on your library, um, how others can pass on their library to you, which right now the only way you can do it really is to know their password and username and keep their devices. And then technically you are still technically pirating it because although you have access, having access to something and having the right to use it are two different things. Uh, much like you have access to Pirate Bay, but you're not really allowed to use that software or music just because you can get it. You know, But uh, that's the thing I think that uh, iTunes really has to, and all these other music uh, places, have to have a way for us to pass it down. I mean, if Sir Jimmy buys you know, $1,000 worth of books through Audible, there should be a way that uh, you know, we're all going to go sometime. When he goes, that his his children, not Sir Jimmy, he's immortal. But uh, <laughs> but there should be he some way that you could pass it on or leave it to your wife, leave it to your children, uh, and then you might see more people. It might sway more people who are hardcore hardcover book readers uh, take the dive into digital. Right. Well, I mean, the the Supreme Court has tried to handle some of these uh, these new digital property right cases. The most famous one was the AutoCAD case, which the Supreme Court did take up. When you start talking about the right of ownership, uh, the right of first purchase, they actually decided on the side of the company, which said, you're not actually buying the software. What you're buying is your own personal right to use it. Um, So, you know, it's, it's still really kind of blurry as far as what it means for people who own digital property if you have a digital movie if you have a digital piece of music what do you actually own you don't own those bits you don't own the the uh the actual content you own the right to play it but is that right transferable and if it's not transferable then what did you actually buy right that's the whole thing If, if if i bought the right to look at this or hear it or read it then i should be able to take that right and give it to someone else now, if I'm dead, there's no way I'm going to be simultaneously reading it as the person I gave it to. Like, I can understand not being able to transfer it while I'm still alive, because that could lead to situations where I could give the Padre my whole collection, and we're both enjoying it at the same time, or giving someone my Netflix password. But if, if, I'm, if I'm in the ground, if, you know, if I'm not on top of the world, if the world's on top of me, uh, you know, uh, I should be able to transfer it, I think. I actually I love the way that Amazon handles it. So I I inherited a Kindle from my sister, okay, uh, and she had an extensive library on it, and we deauthorized it and reauthorized it in my name. Well, the policy is anything that was on the Kindle I could still access. Oh. So I couldn't download her books to any new devices that I might have. Okay, as long as I had that device, it was sort of like yeah, go ahead. Okay, um, I think ultimately it's it's going to come down to to that, not what is right in the legal sense, but Companies like Amazon saying, of course, we want someone else to be introduced to our content. Of course, we want someone else to have access to this book or this series because then they'll buy more. Um, you know, Ultimately, what we're hoping for is companies will see that it's in their best interest to play it fast and loose with property laws because it means more sales for them in the end. Agreed, Padre. 
Agreed. Of course, that, that's that's assuming that they <laughs> they're thinking about that. <laughs> so and not just stop stealing our content, stay off our lawn. Yeah, they are. They're, they're like, they are exactly like that cranky old man. Stay off my lawn. Stop. You know, and we're trying to give the cranky old man money. And trying to tell him how to improve his business. Take my money. Take my money. Let me. Oh, oh well. We keep telling these companies, if you do this, we'll give you more money. So why wouldn't they do it? Your customers are telling you, do this, we'll give you more money. Because Uh, they'd rather say, give us more money and then maybe we'll do it. See, it's it's an old game. Some companies that figure out all you got to do is give them another half inch and they can sell all of their product in (laughs) one hour. I did not. I did not start us down this path. I just want everyone to know I did not do that. I wanted to, but I didn't. I just need another half inch. Oh, let me see what have I can do. Seen, have you seen the mock-ups of the iPhone 10 that look like a lightsaber? Yeah, I love oh, it. I, I could show you. That is the. That's the background on my iPad right now. Yeah, it's like it's like 80 icons tall. Absolutely, that's it. That is awesome. Oh, how do you sit down if you put that in your jean pocket? <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, uh, and here's the thing: they'll still sell millions of iPhone fives. Yeah, uh, it's still a good device. It'll have great battery life. It'll be fast. Um, at this point, though, the weird thing, at least for the tech observers, is oh, I'm sorry. Do you have a jingle that you got to push here? Oh yes, technology. I, as always. Technology. One's a little hot. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, this, this is the first time that Apple has released an iPhone where they, you could look at it and say, wow, no one else has this feature. You know, for, for the original iPhone, that was obvious. Um, for the iPhone 4, they had Siri. This time they released an iPhone, and you could look at it and say, there's nothing on this iPhone that does not already exist in an Android product. Yeah, it just, it just looks like a, lo- it's a longer iPhone. It's a longer us. iPhone, which, not to say it's bad. I mean, I mean before the, the haters come out, I'm not saying, oh, that means it's, it's, it's a horrible, horrible phone. It will still be a great phone. It will still sell millions. I'm not hating. I got uh, mine on order. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, you know what? I, for anyone who already has, say, like an, uh, a Galaxy Nexus or a Samsung S3, they're yeah. looking, at, looking at it going, oh, okay, well, I'm, I'm happy you, you have a phone that's as good as my phone was a year ago now. Right. <laughs> well, see, I, I'm, I'm on the iPhone 4. I was out of plan. So I figured uh, I talked to the gentleman at Bell, and you know, the, uh, the five is actually supposedly twice as fast as the f- iPhone 4S. So uh, we haven't really seen this A6 processor right. um, in you know in the wild. Uh, see what it can do on a small device. Um, but I, when I spoke to the the Bell uh, customer service guy, he said this is literally the biggest thing we've ever done at Bell. That's Bell Canada, uh, Bell Mobility. He said we've had to basically open an entire new office and staff it uh, just to oh, handle yeah. the pre-orders. So I, I uh, just from that one anecdote, I'm thinking this could be the biggest uh, iPhone launch in history. Oh, it will be. I, I mean, uh, from and I believe it. I, when, when the analysts are coming out and saying, this may be the first iPhone that breaks the 100 million barrier. Wow. And I think it will because with the worldwide sales and with the fact that it's, it's going to be released in China as well, I mean, you could see this hitting the 200 million uh, barrier. How so, brilliant was it to call it the five and not be stupid and call it the new iPhone? Right. <laughs> yeah. if, they, if you want to spend the money on this, I mean, what's it cost? Two grand a year to have an iPhone with a plan? Right. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know, twelve, thirteen hundred dollars $1,300. I've never had an iPhone. Well, let me see. Uh, I uh, on my plan, it costs me $1,020 a year. Okay, so a thousand bucks. You want yeah. to be able to say you got a five. You don't want to say I've got a four S. You know, if, if all these people got fours, you got the five. Right. That's it. If you say I got the new iPhone, people still see my iPad two and go, "Is is that the new one?" And I say yes, and they go, "Oh, it's awesome. I love it." I'm like, yeah, <laughs> man. You, this the second one sucked. This one's so much faster. And look at the screen. <laughs> People never has any idea. No, no. Well, that's 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 the other thing that gets me when people, oh yeah, that old one sucked. It's like really did it? Because yeah, I remember it being kind of awesome. <laughs> but when you're at the bar and you sit your iPhone down beside the other guy's iPhone, mine's a half inch longer. <laughs> like yeah, that's it. That's- and you know, I'm gonna give a little <laughs> my just my own anecdotal tech advice here. As far as far as the iPhone, apparently this thing was designed. That I'm looking. I'm holding a, a four a four in my hand, and with the the circular ring. Padre's got all kinds of stuff there, of course. But this is designed so that if it's dropped, 
the back glass will break. Nothing else will break. That's how it's designed to fall. It's like a cat, you know, always lands on its back glass. Um, I find that anyone I know that's put a case on these things and then dropped it, they've changed the, I don't know if it's the aerodynamics or just the physics of it, they've broken the front. So not only have they spent $20 or $30 on a case, they've broken their front glass, and that's like a many hundred dollar repair. The back glass is like a $40 repair. So I just, I've always used this bear. I've dropped it on concrete, ceramic. It's gone down like the ceramic stairs of the subway. Still in one piece. All my phones are bare. Yeah, I figure that's how they're engineered. They look great, and you know, I love your neck. Is that a Nexus there, Padre? This is a this is a Nexus. So this is a Nexus running Jelly Bean. I'm sorry for the guy for everyone listening. I have to describe it. I got this at Google I/O this last year, which was amazing because you showed up. And most of the time they figured, okay, you'll get a phone. Or I think you know, one time they gave a tablet. This time they gave a tablet, a phone, a, Sa- uh, a Samsung Chromebook, a uh, Google Q, and I also got a Sony Google TV. I and mean, it was a ridiculous conference. Nice. Uh, but, you know, I-, I look at these phones and I'm not, I'm just, I'm very happy with what I've got. I love the fact that there's competition. I love the fact that if you want a smartphone, it's no longer, well, smartphone is really iPhone and a bunch of competitors. Now it's really, if you want a smartphone, there's Samsung, there's Apple, there's HTC, and they all make re- uh, Motorola, and they all make really competent phones. Yeah. See, I, I'm kind of, uh, I've been locked in to the, to the Apple uh, ecosystem because of the apps. Right. I mean, I know a lot of the apps are available on Android now, but, uh, you know. You, you don't want to rebuy them. Yeah, that's the whole thing. I mean, uh, yeah, I could probably get an, a decent on a decent uh, plan. I could get a, a, a nice. I love the Nexus; they're great phones. Uh, I could get one for free for ninety nine dollars, but then I'd have to spend a thousand dollars on software to pre- replace all the crap I've bought for this thing. <laughs> you know. You know what does it for me right now? Um, on this, which is this is the phone for the lab, and so the office pays for this. I, I haven't actually bought an Apple product, but the you know the plan is about a hundred dollars a month, right? Right plan on this is $30 a month and there's no contract. Beautiful. So, I mean, it gets, it came down to economics for me. It's like, okay, well, I like both of these phones. Um, I, I can get one a whole lot cheaper and it does everything I want it to do. And that's the one I'm going to yeah. go with. I, I was suckered into the walled garden. You know, this controls the music in the shop, controls the music at home. Uh, yeah. You know, I can swipe my Netflix onto the TV. Uh, I'm, I'm done for. I'd have to have a major fire for me to ever consider, uh, you know, switching from it because everything here works there, together. There is one very cool function that is available both on this Nexus and on the uh, Nexus tablet involving that little box behind me, like the Q. So that's an entertainment system that, that plugs into your TV and your stereo and so on and so forth. It, it's, it's NFC enabled. So when I walk into my TV room, I tap the phone or my tablet to the, uh, to the, to the, uh, the Q. Okay. And the, f- the phone or the tablet will automatically become the remote control. That's cool. Which is, so, I'm like, that's kind of cool. That's sort of like, you ever heard of the, the application called Bump? Right, right. Same thing. It's the same technology. It's NFC. So what, you can get Bump on your iPhone. Why do you have to have NFC in it? Well, Bump on your iPhone is using a slightly different technology. The iPhones don't support NFC. Right. So yeah. NFC is near field communications, mm-hmm. uh, and which means that if like if I get my Nexus uh, Seven tablet and my Nexus phone together, I can share different pieces of information. Like for example, right now as you enter our house, there is a NFC sticker that says Wi-Fi, and if you walk into my house and you tap your NFC enabled device to it, you will automatically get all the Wi-Fi settings for my house, my password, and my NFC. SSID. So you don't have to ask anymore. If you're a guest, you just tap the door, you're good to go. Yeah, put one of those out on your mailbox. <laughs> <laughs> well, the neighbors come by and grab your Wi-Fi. Wasting the juice. There you go. Now, now do you read? Do you read on any one of these, uh, Padre? I read on both of these actually. Um, both my my yeah. Nexus Seven and on my uh, my ne- uh, Galaxy Nexus phone. I used to read on the iPhone because uh, I liked the Retina display on the 4S, but it was just too small. So, you know, I, I, yeah, it's, I, it's kind of depressing when you look at it. It's like, well, I'm in page three of 57,923 yeah. pages. Yeah, no thanks. Almost there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, gentlemen, it's been a lot of fun. Are you, uh, all three of you, going to join us for the, the pirate episode tomorrow? 
All three of us? We'll be there. I'm in. Absolutely. Um, Before we go, I just want to remind our listeners who are also authors that the most important thing on an ebook, especially for your self-publishing, is the cover of your book and a great way to find images. If you don't know a photographer, if you can't afford a photographer or an artist, uh, is to go to iStock Photo. And all you got to do is go to bookguys.ca slash photos and you get a special deal at iStock Photo just for Book Guys listeners and authors. Don't forget freehollowbooks.com. Don't forget to go to iTunes and check out This Week in Enterprise Tech with Padre SJ. And look up uh, Professor Allen's blog, the Eyes and Ears blog. And you can find us all at bookguys.ca. And I think, gentlemen, it's about that time that that music starts playing. I don't know where it is. There it is. <laughs> we used to play it automatically when we did the live show, and it really upset everyone. <laughs> I was like, no, 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 we can't end the show now. Uh, we'll be in video soon. This is great. Go to meeting. Love it. Padre, can you do the, can you want to give out your, your promo code again? You don't have to, but. Absolutely. If you're thinking about trying to go to meeting, you want to find out how go to meeting with HT faces can help you out. Listeners of both my podcast and the book guys podcast can get it free for 30 days. Visit goatmeeting.com. Type in the promo code enterprise. Stay tuned. Book readers and book listeners. Paul the Book Guy will be back next week. Same book time, same book channel.